right, guys, good morning, and welcome to class three of the Intro to Missions class. Uh, today we're going to be walking through uh, the, the second part of our biblical theology of missions, uh, and this is going to be looking at the New Testament. So last week Joe talked about Old Testament, this week we're going to be going through New Testament. Um, but before we get started, let's open up in prayer. God, we are thankful for this time that we can spend together, this time that we can open up your word together. God, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your incredible works, your wisdom, and your glory. God, we pray that even this morning that we would know you more, that we would understand your word more clearly, that we would abide in it more richly. God, that we would honor you uh, with our lives, that we would honor you with the way that uh, we, we understand your commands and your law and the way that we uh, obey them. So God, we pray that, that this morning would just be glorifying and honor to you uh, because you are worthy of all blessing and honor and power and glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we jump into this week's topic, New Testament, just wanted to do a really quick recap of the first couple of weeks. Um, and so in the first class, Cole, Cole taught that class and tackled for us the goal of missions and uh, the, what fuels it, which is the glory of God. So it's the glory of God uh, that fuels and is the end of missions. And so he helped us also to nail down that, that definition of missions, which is evangelism that takes the gospel across ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundaries, sees disciples made, and then gathered into churches. He shared with us as well that, that amazing John Piper quote from Let the Nations Be Glad that says, missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but the worship of God abides forever. Isn't that incredible? Ugh. In that, in that vision and, and in that fuel um, is God's glory. The engine is the local church. And so we also talked through, and uh, one of the, the core pieces of scripture is Ephesians 3.10. It says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And so moving forward into to looking into uh, last week, Joe, thank you for teaching through that. Uh, Joe did a great job of, of beginning to unpack the biblical theology of missions, um, which is simply put, just tracing that theme, the idea of what missions looks like from the beginning to the end, all the way throughout scripture. And so from Genesis to Revelation, God is working to make his name great among all nations. And last week we saw that, that thread woven all the way through 
the Old Testament. Uh, missions is not something that is just a modern evangelistic uh, ordeal, but it's biblically based uh, from the very earliest of, of Scripture. Um, and so just, to, just as a quick, super fast r- recap of that, um, we're going to look at just a, a few of those, those main points, just looking at how God from the very beginning was working to be glorified and honored and worshipped from the very beginning until the very end. And at, at the end, he is working to bring a people to himself, a redeemed people. And so at the very beginning, we see God's work in the, in the very creation, in the creation of all things and all people. And his first commandment to Adam and Eve was to multiply and to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over it. Moving forward a little bit, we see Noah uh, as, as the world fell after Genesis 3, the world fell to sin and, and the world became corrupt and did not worship God. So God called Noah to build the ark, rescued them, uh, Noah and his family. And after that flood, God said, multiply and fill the earth. And so God once again was showing that he desired uh, a people that worshiped and glorified and honored him. Moving a little bit forward, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. They said, the people around there said, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Which sounds like the exact opposite of what God said to do, right? Multiply and fill the earth. And they said, actually, let's come together, make a name for ourselves. Complete opposite. And so God said, let's confuse their language. And so God did. He said, let us go down and confuse their language. And then he dispersed them over all the face of the earth. I mean, all of the nations, tongues, tribes, peoples of this world started here, right? This is when the people, the languages were created by God and they were dispersed over all the earth. Fast forward then to David and Goliath, one of everybody's favorite Bible stories, right? So rarely do we think of that as a missional text. And yet that is God putting his name um, and his power and his fame on display. Because David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. That's terrifying, right? Good luck with your sword and spear. I come with the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies. And and then he goes on to say, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Just calling his shots there. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. We could go on and see different stories. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den, another kid's story that is way more epic than, than we generally see, see it in, uh, in kids' books. And so 
all throughout the Old Testament. We see in, in all those different, different books, uh, we see that, that it is God's mission to make his name great and to create a people for himself, for his glory. And so um, even just as we, as we prep through and, and we're about to jump into the New Testament, it was just weighing on my heart that, that I was thinking through this class being, being a little bit more focused on the knowledge of missions, the, the understanding of uh, God's mission and glory and, for, and passion for his glory. But um, something came to my mind that I just wanted to share with you guys is, is Ecclesiastes 12.13. So you think, you think about Ecclesiastes 12.13 at the very end of this whole book that Solomon wrote of, of his wisdom, looking into um, the vanity and all of the, the different, different aspects of life. And he just said, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. We add a whole lot of pressure to ourselves in this life of where we're going to live, what we're going to do, who we're going to spend our time with, um, how we're going to pay the bills, whatever it might be. But this boils it down so simply to just say the, the end of the matter is this. Fear God and obey his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So I just wanted to, to share that uh, as, we, as we get started and as we dive in. Um, so let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump in. Um, we're going we're gonna to first start off with that, that uh, a cool call out of the fact that the gap between the Old Testament and the New is one little blank page. Depending on your Bible, I guess it might be more, more pages than that, but... That one little blank page represents 400 years, approximately, maybe 450 or so. But between Malachi, the end of Malachi, and the beginning of Matthew is 400 years. And I've always loved and appreciated that fact that, that in that 400 years, God was waiting for the day that Jesus would be born. He was waiting and, and sovereignly orchestrating all of these things that he's started at Genesis 1, started this sovereignly. And, and I love how this 400-year gap just further highlights God's sovereignty in all things. This can't be man-made when generation after generation after generation have come and gone. And all of a sudden, then God picks up where he left off and starts fulfilling promise after promise after promise in Christ. So wanted to share that. This is a, hopefully an encouragement. Um, it, but yes, that, that great story starts in the Gospels that Jesus, Jesus was born. The great spearhead of the Gospel, Jesus was born. Emmanuel, God with us. He left heaven to be made in the likeness of man. He took on flesh like us. I love how Philippians 2, 6 through 8 puts it, that Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. And that verse, verse seven, when it says, but he emptied himself, I always have appreciated the, the NIV. When I first memorized this uh, in the NIV, it, it says, rather he made himself nothing like us. Just appreciate that uh, level of uh, humility that, that is put on display in Christ and becoming like us. So, of course, he was much more than, than just uh, a missionary. He was God. And it says in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So like I, I mentioned, it, it's important to, to recognize that even though a lot of what Jesus has done through his life and in his ministry, um, there's a lot to, of, of his life that was an example, and a, but not necessarily a model because of the fact that he is fully man and fully God, very distinctly different than us. He was the propitiation for our sins and we can't do that. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so yes, jumping in, one of the the first verses that I want to call out to you guys to continue this theme is Luke 2, 29 through 32. This is the section where Simeon, a devout man, had been told by the Holy Spirit that you will not perish until you see the Messiah born. You're going to see the coming of the Messiah. That's a pretty cool personal promise to have received from the Holy Spirit. And so this passage right here is Simeon responding in prayer and praise to God after he meets Jesus, when Jesus is brought to the temple as a child. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now Dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And so Simeon got it. He understood right here at the very beginning of Luke that, that Jesus' coming was not only and merely for Israel. It was for all nations. That's what he's referring to when he says Gentiles. That's everyone else that's not Israel. The next, the next passage I want to call out is Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Just a couple of things that I want to call out there um, is that, that Jesus was going from place to place 
healing everybody. Um, and, and my apologies, I just realized I was going to give you this quick note. There are a handful of the, the passages in the handout, and there's a couple of them that I've added that are not here. So I apologize if there's any confusion along the way. Um, if you need a reference, if I'm going a little bit too fast, just call it out and I'll, I'll provide that again. So this was uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, going from city to city, doing amazing miraculous good works, good works that we can only dream of, right? I mean, it's healing every single person that was sick throughout these towns. But what, the thing that I want to call out here is that as he was doing this, he didn't heal the whole world. Like, he had the power to just snap his fingers and heal everyone. Like, why did he wait? And why was he only doing this from town to town, wherever he was? He had the power. He could have healed everyone. And so it's helpful in this, even in this, just to remember that, that we aren't the point. He is the point. And he is the one going from place to place, doing these miracles to draw attention to himself for his glory, for God's glory, not merely for our sake. Does he heal people? Yes. Is it amazing and loving? Yes. But it's great to be reminded that he is the point, not us. And so in his great works, we are drawn, attention is drawn to him. Um, a second thing that I wanted to call out there, yeah, it's just back to that, that Piper quote, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. The second thing that, that's super helpful to, to realize here is that Jesus isn't only going place to place and healing everybody and doing these good works. It says that he did do that. But more importantly, or at least as importantly in this situation, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That is the ultimate, right? And in so many situations in this world, we might get distracted with what we might be calling missions. But it is really clear here with this example we see in Jesus that yes, he's doing good works, but he's not only doing good works. He is also proclaiming the gospel just as we should be when we're involved in missions. And then he calls us to pray, to be faithful and to trust in God's sovereignty. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, next is Matthew 24, 14. In your handout there before you, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Similar verse to that, maybe you could call it a sister verse. Mark 13, 10 says, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And Luke, Luke 24, 47 says, And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. So time and time again, he's, Jesus is calling out the fact that, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. And in these situations, he's saying, before the end will come. So there's a lot of, uh, question about that, but that's one thing that we know will come to pass before the end will come, is that 
the gospel will be preached among all nations. Jesus said in John 20, 21, he came to them and said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He actually said that after the Great Commission, which I'll read now. Uh, the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, like when we think about what, what is missions, this, like where do we get missions from, most people immediately think of this passage that, that I'm about to read. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is called the Great Commission for good reason. I'll read it really quickly. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, this is just before his ascension. This is right before he leaves this earth. And this is what he has to say. We have to put a pretty good deal of weight on this, right? Not that any necessarily, you know, any passage of scripture is more important than, than the next. But this is his final commandment. This is the last thing that he's called uh, the church to do. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe and obey all that I have commanded you. Amazing. And it comes with a promise that I am with you always to the very end of the age. I hope by now, as we've already unpacked like dozens of passages, verses of scripture, all from the very beginning of Genesis up until now, that, that th even though this is what we often think of when we think of missions, that even if this passage weren't in there, which it is, but if it wasn't, missions would still be a thing. This is not it. M missions is a scriptural commandment and basis and expectation from the very beginning of scripture all the way to the end. And this is not merely the only passage uh, that we have to base that off of. There is an entire biblical theology of missions that we can count on and lean on. The next is Acts 1.8. So we're jumping out of the Gospels now. But this, this Acts 1.8, again, is another uh, telling of, of a, the uh, Great Commission, a similar passage uh, that says, But you, this is Jesus talking again right before his ascension. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's amazing. Just after that, he ascended. And they watched him go, disappear behind some clouds, and they just stand there dumbfounded, right? I mean, they're just like, what just happened? Angels show, tell them graciously, like, I feel like they're just kind of like snapping them out of it. Hey guys, he's going to come back the same way that he just left. So go, be faithful, 
It's basically, they're like, pay attention. Don't stand here forever. Um, and so they do. They go back, just, just as they had been told, going back to Jerusalem. And then we fast forward to Acts 2, 5 through 12 and 41. I believe that is also in your handout. Yes, great. It's just after, or this is the Pentecost. And, and we, we see, I'll just read it. This is great. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. So this is right after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they go out celebrating, and they're, yeah. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I love it at first that they literally, oh, yeah, that they were like, they must be drunk. And Peter's like, are you kidding? That is nonsense, right? Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And so Peter, at that moment, starts to preach and to proclaim the gospel who Jesus is, what he has done, and what they're called to do, to call them to repentance. And fast forward a little bit to to verse 41 that says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it's amazing to to call out just that point that, that God has done it. I mean, this is just an incredible example that God has sovereignly worked the very thing that he said he was going to work, right? That, that there would be people from all tribes, tongues, and nations that would be blessed through the gospel, through, through his work. And so just right here, you see all nations doing what God orchestrated to happen in the first place, which was to bring all of these together so that they could hear of the Messiah. Amazing. Fast forward, I, I don't think this is, Acts 8, 1 is not in your handout, but want to consider this as well. Um, you, you see in Acts 1, 8, it was helpful. I think it was Todd Aaron that showed me this years and years and years and years ago. But Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Acts 1 through 7 is in Jerusalem. That's where they've been. And then, again, God sovereignly orchestrates a dispersion. Right after uh, Stephen stands up to proclaim the gospel, yet again, an amazing sermon, he looks, well, yes, He is stoned and killed. 
with a loud voice, he says, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said that, he fell asleep. And then comes 8.1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So you just immediately start to see the gospel going forth just as God has orchestrated, just as they had planned, as he had planned. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Let's look at this. Paul speaking, saying, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The entire world. Reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Uh, similarly to that verse, we also see in Romans 1, 5, he says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And then Romans 1, 16, a great memory verse, if you haven't, committed this one to memory yet. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, to the Jew and everyone else. Next, I want to bring your attention to Romans 10, 14. Uh, let's see, that shows 14, I'm going to start at 13, but uh, 14 and 15. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we recognize to fulfill this great commission, to fulfill this uh, work that God has put before the church, we must be actively engaged in building one another up, raising up those that can preach, and sending them out so that so that those around the world can hear, believe, have the opportunity to repent and believe. In Galatians 3.14, it's another, another passage that, that is helpful. It says, In Christ, the blessing of Abraham has come upon the nations that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, all the nations. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Colossians 1, 6 says, which the gospel, asserting that, which the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. A couple of thousand years later, and that fact is still true. God is sovereignly orchestrating and working to see the gospel bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul, as an apostle, as a missionary, was going out, and it says he was filling up what is lacking. It's really important here. Just as earlier I made the distinction that there are big differences between the missions work that Jesus did as the perfect son of God. What he did versus what we do now in missions is very distinctly different, right? And so when he says filling up what is lacking, he does not mean that there's something lacking in the sacrifice that that Jesus did in his life and his death and his resurrection. There is not anything lacking in that. That gospel is true. What, What he is filling up, when he says he's filling up what is lacking, it is making it real. It's bringing that, uh, to those that he's working and ministering to, laboring for. He's bringing the gospel to the nations as an opportunity for them to see, to hear, understand, and have the opportunity to believe the gospel. That's his work, and that is even what we are called to do when we get involved in missions. It is to to fill up what is lacking by taking the gospel to those that have not had the opportunity to hear it. 1 Timothy 3.16 is another helpful passage. It says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. This is talking about Christ. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Continuing, marching forward. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, this is a missions-minded passage. And when, just to, to be clear here, when we think about biblical theology, not to get too deep into this, but when you see propitiation for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world. This is not a Unitarian passage, right? Jesus spoke of heaven and hell. Heaven, that that theme goes throughout. We recognize that it is important for us to hear the gospel, to repent of the gospel, to, uh, or repent of the gospel, goodness. Repent of our sin, to believe in Christ, to believe in the gospel. And that is, a key theme of scripture. That is the gospel. And so um, it's just important here to recognize that that when we see things like, or something like this verse, that 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 requirement of belief and repentance is key. 
1 John 4, 14. It says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Pretty incredible. Revelations 5, Revelation 5, 9 says, uh, this is John in his visions. And he sees them mourning that they can't open the scroll. No one is worthy. Then they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, the Lamb, who is Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people. And nation. That was Revelation 5 9. And then finally, Revelation 7 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So we see that coming to to fruition. We see God's promise that he would do this very thing and he gives us so graciously this vision from John to give us that courage, that encouragement even, that God will work out his plans. This we can trust and this is what we see here in Revelation. He's highlighting that the very things that he has promised will come true. That there will be a number, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right, that was a quick flyover of so many verses over uh, over the past two weeks. Um, I know that we could probably highlight many more that we didn't include here. Um, even just to open it up, is there are there any other verses that you guys want to share as a as a means of encouragement that you can think of that might continue to fulfill uh, this understanding of biblical theology of missions? It's okay if there's not. I was just curious. I'm sure that Joe and I didn't catch everything. Or maybe we did. Yes. Let's hear it. Yes. Love that. Highlighting Paul's ambition and his his work ethic. And he even says like 
I've worked harder than anyone else, right? It's kind of like raising the bar. I feel like I can work hard too. Be faithful. Work hard as under the Lord, not man. And he's working with the ambition to equip the saints. It's awesome. Yes. Mm, that's awesome. As a, even when you think about the parallel of that statement that you just made with regards to the Great Commission, he's saying, I will be with you always till the very end of the age, working in and through you. That's awesome. What, what, what passage was that again? 128. Awesome. Colossians 128. Anything else? Awesome. So, to, to continue, after we've, we've read through a couple of dozen passages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation to capture the, the biblical theology of missions uh, in a concise way, what is the mission of God? We have three different uh, quotes here to, to be helpful as we, as we really just strive to boil this down. Uh, Kossenberger and O'Brien in the book Salvation to the Ends of the Earth, a biblical theology of mission, they say that his salvation would reach the utter ends of the earth. That is his gracious movement in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue a desperately needy world that is in rebellion against him and stands under his righteous judgment. And Jonathan Edwards says, the creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end, that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse towards whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature and to whom he might, as it were, open and pour forth all the immense fountain of condescension or humility. Uh, love and grace that was in his heart and that in this way God might be glorified. And then J.H. Bobink, who was a pastor and missionary to Indonesia and then a, a, a seminary professor and author uh, in the 60s. This is from, I don't know, the book is called, the, I can't remember this, never mind. Wrote a book, this quote's from it. Goodness gracious, the science of missions, yes, something like that. Missions is the great work of Jesus Christ through which after his completed work as mediator, he draws all peoples to his salvation and makes them to partake of the gifts which he has obtained for them. It's incredible. I think it's important yeah, even as we, as we think of some of these passages, as we, as we even look towards th the idea and the theme of limited atonement, um, as I highlighted in that first John verse earlier, uh, we are going to be speaking to this a lot deeper um, next week when Cole is teaching on, uh, on faith, obedience, and the gospel. Is it necessary? Is it the only way? Is Jesus really the, 
way, the, the door, the truth, the life. Um, and so, yeah, I think make sure you're here for that to learn, learn of that um, a little bit more deeply. So we've talked through a, a bunch of things. I've shared some of these uh, missionary implications throughout uh, as we've talked through some of these passages. But just to, to really dive in and, and highlight these a little bit more, um, just, just that, that recognition that Jesus incarnate God and the difference between that and, and Paul, the disciple, as our, as our example of missions. Um, we are not called to be Jesus Christ, but to be examples, to be ambassadors, to be representatives of God in this world. And so, though Jesus did all of that work and provides a lot of, of that example, really when we think about our church and the work that we do, um, we're called to be obedient to Christ and to, to do the work that he has put before us as disciples. Um, yeah, faithfully living out in our, in our obedience to him as the head. Um, yeah. The mission is to all the peoples God might save. The mission is to all the peoples God might save. So we've seen uh, that this mission pretty much covers everything. Even when we looked at that Acts 2 section, we saw all the diversity of people that have come to faith in Christ. It crosses every ethnicity, uh, linguistic, nationality, um, socioeconomically. It's a global mission. And so as we as the church and as church members, we need to have that similar expansive concern to advance the gospel. We, we must be um, intentional to, to be as broad as God is, not to be narrowly minded or narrowly focused in our mission. God is sovereign in all things, including missions. So this is something that we highlighted all throughout this, that God is sovereign in, in what he works and how he works things out, um, that he is bringing people from every tongue, tribe, nation and people in his sovereignty he is making it happen and so this isn't a desperate enterprise although like we discussed it is valuable to be hard working you know that that we work hard as unto the lord but it doesn't depend on us we we have to be faithful to do our part recognizing that god is the one that works in people's hearts I mean, I was even just thinking about that this morning and last night, that I can't even work salvation in my own daughters. I can't make them believe. I can't force this. I'm not sovereign. God is sovereign, and it's him who's going to call them to, to himself. I can only be faithful to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach his word, and that is where my limitation comes in. Um, God is sovereign in all things, and I think that, that in a big way that, that we can recognize that uh, we don't have to panic. You know, we're not in this dire urgency. Um, although, yes, we should work hard. We should do so with a recognition of God's sovereignty so that we can pray to God to raise up laborers. We ourselves can work hard. And yet, at the end of the day, we should be able to sleep easily. We should be able to trust that God is doing the work that he is the one that is working in the peoples 
and that he's merely called us to be faithful, good and faithful servants, and that it is not on our shoulders to be the saviors of the world. Only Jesus can be the savior of the world. Doesn't mean we don't work hard, but we also can do that work with peace. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? And so we should not treat it as if the, the work that he's put on us is overwhelming. We should go to him uh, in prayer. We could go to him um, with confidence, draw near to him, and yet not feel overwhelmed by, by the work that he's put before us. Jesus is, God is working out the work to fulfill those promises. Okay, let's look at next at the centrality and limits of the local church. Um, like we, we just spoke of, uh, the, the mission of God is not necessarily the mission of the local church. God is, is greater. Um, and so, so we have to recognize the differentiation between God and the church. Um, he has called the 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 church to do specific tasks um, of being representatives, of ambassadors, evangelists, disciple makers, to move the gospel forward in this world. And then in similarity uh, to that on the other side of it, oftentimes we think every good deed that, that a Christian can walk in, I mean, we recognize that Jesus or that God has uh, created beforehand good deeds that we may walk in them. Um, and it's important to recognize that just because he's created us as individual Christians, as members of a church, to be able to walk in good deeds, that doesn't mean that the church has to be held accountable to every single good deed that you or I might aspire to or feel called to or have a burden for. Um, there's a difference because the, uh, the local church ultimately is the st- is to steward the gospel and to spread the fame of Christ, to proclaim the gospel among all nations. And so, although it is important that we do walk in good deeds, it is not the church's primary role to do good deeds. Our primary role as the church is to steward the gospel and to spread the fame of Christ. Again, that's just just a, as a reflection. We'll talk more about this throughout this class, but to, to just highlight that again. Um, and never mind. We will get through that in the next classes. I'm not going to go there. Uh, missions, uh, a central concern for all Christians. As we've gone through this, we've seen like this is a, like missions is a primary theme throughout the whole scripture. God's glory among all nations is not just for an elect few. It's not for only those that might be going, but it is for all Christians. There may be some among our church body that may go to the nations, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us have no part in it. The rest of us also need to recognize that this is part of the the whole work that God has for our church. Um, So all of us won't do the exact same work. Not all of us will go to the exact same places but we should all be similarly concerned and striving to support, to encourage, to build up, to mobilize, um, to encourage those that are going in, in whatever way that might be, here in Fayetteville, across the country, or around the world. So this should be a normal part of what it means to love God. 
came. And just to, to close, uh, we can reflect and just see that our mission is God's vision for the end of all things. The final vision of God is a missionary vision. The prophet Isaiah saw a glimpse of the, that end vision when he said, And I, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. He then speaks through a couple of things in the, the next chapters, but then in, uh, or in the next verses, and then Isaiah 66 22 through 24. He says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer, and then I'm going to introduce. Uh, this week's um, uh, missionary biography focus, and uh, then we'll spend the last bit of time of, uh, of this class in prayer for the country of Thailand. Um, so it was, uh, or it's George Lyle, who many may not have heard of, but was a missionary to Jamaica. He was born in, in 1950, born, I said 1950. I was only 200 years off. Small, small difference. 1750. He was born in 1750 as a slave. And as he, as he became through his teenage years, he became a believer and started doing work of ministry, sharing the gospel. And his slave owner, which is even weird, difficult to say that, but his slave owner saw his faithfulness and his fruitfulness in ministry and actually set him free, gave him his freedom so that he could, could go and not be bound by, by the work that, that was before him. And so he started doing that and actually planted a church in Georgia. Um, and, and that church grew to several hundred people. And then during the Revolutionary War, the guy that set him free passed away. And, and the heirs actually tried to... Uh, to re-enslave him which is awful but they were basically like you're not free in our eyes and yeah it was awful he ended up spending some time because of that in jail and um but thankfully over after some time was able to to provide his papers to prove his his freedom and uh, they let him go and shortly after that he moved to jamaica um, where he continued to strive to find people he knew that you know there were people coming from this was a British colony at the time, and he was faithful just to find people that needed to hear the gospel and shared it with them. Not only did he share the gospel with them, he brought them into churches. He planted, he planted churches and preached faithfully, baptized many, and encouraged the, the church to share the gospel. So it's cool to even just see his work going to Jamaica, planting churches, and then sending people out among the nations, even from there. It's amazing. And so, just wanted to, to highlight that. Again, I mean, the world can bring all sorts of hurdles and challenges, things our way, but God has called us to be faithful. Um, God has called us to, to 
live faithfully where we're at, doing what we're doing, whatever that job may be, slave or free. And so this is a fantastic example uh, in George Lyle. I'm grateful for his ministry and for his example um, as, as it can encourage us. Okay, well, what we'll do is maybe just break, we'll break into two groups um, here to, to spend some time in prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for Thailand. We, we have some partners in, in Thailand now. And, uh, uh, but yeah, there's 70 million people in Thailand, and only 0.5% of that is Christian or evangel- evangelical Christian. The primary religion is Buddhism. 85 different languages, uh, 113 unique people groups in Thailand. In general, when we think about Thailand, we don't think of that much diversity there. But it's really important for us to know that. 85 different languages. So plenty of work to be done, given that only 0.5% are evangelical Christian. So let's pray, spend some time uh, praying for Thailand and the work and labor that's taking place there. Um, And then as you finish up, we can be dismissed.